Hi, it's Leon Dolan, and my new book, The Marriage Sabbatical, is out now and available everywhere. People Magazine chose it as an April pick of the month, one of the best this week, a hopeful take on commitment, they said, and an innovative story about marriage. Mmm, sounds juicy. The Marriage Sabbatical, out now, available everywhere. You're listening to Satellite Sisters. What's a Satellite Sister? The person you call when the best thing in your life happens or the worst. The person that gets you up, gets you going, and gets you through. And every once in a while, changes your mind. This podcast is part pep talk, part weekly check-in. Like grabbing coffee with a friend. Thanks for being here. Welcome to the Satellite Sisterhood. You are listening to Satellite Sisters. Great to be with you today. I'm Leanne Dolan in Pasadena, California. I'm a writer, producer. I'm the youngest sister, and I am the proud owner of a new witch's hat. So just wondering, did you get your Halloween costume yet, girls? Liz, what'd you do? Do you have your costume? Here I am in Santa Monica, Leanne. I've lived here for about 14 years now. Nobody has ever come ding dong at my... (laughs) So... But maybe this is the year. Maybe I should come out to your place because you're such a destination Halloween neighborhood. (laughs) Maybe I need to throw myself back into the swing of it. But no, I'm not committed yet to a look for Halloween. How about you, Julie? Hi, this is Julie Dolan. I'm in Dallas, Texas. And while we do have trick-or-treaters, I think I have a long and established history. I believe Halloween is for children. I have lost this battle. I realize it. It's kind of like this uh, Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition. I rail against that every year to no avail. Okay. Uh, So no, I will not be wearing a costume once again. Yes. Your house sounds fun. <laughs> I have very, I give out very good candy, Leah. Okay. That's my signal. Well, that's excellent. All right. Today on the show, Julie, you're bringing Tuesday trends. Can't wait. That's right at the top of the show. Yes. Also, a hard hitting discussion on coffee table books. So we never looking- discuss coffee table books. There's, it's a controversy now. Yeah. You have to, there, you have to take a side. Okay. Yes or no. On we do? Yes. Wow. Okay. Yes. Speaking of books, we have author Laura Galloway joining us. She spent six years living above the Arctic Circle in a small town in Norway. And of course, we're going to ask her why, and then we're going to ask her how. Uh, So both of those things happened. I can't wait to talk to her. I loved her book. It was called Dalvi. It's a really interesting memoir. Uh, And then we have a whole list of memoirs and autobiographies and biographies that we've been enjoying and reading. So we're going to go over that. So it's a full show today. Very full. Wow. Okay. (laughs) Okay, All right. But Julie, Tuesday trends. Let's hit it. Tuesday trends. We're going to start with a beauty trend now. uh, All right. Everyone, I want you just to imagine a dolphin. Imagine a dolphin Mm. and they're up and down in the water and they just uh, just as they crest out of the water. What does that dolphin look like? You know, it's just beautiful and sleek and plump. Okay. Mm -hmm. Right? Do you have that yes. picture? Yes, now? I have the yeah. picture okay. in my mind. Wet. It's wet. Yeah. It's wet. <laughs> it's moist. Okay. It's illuminated. The water is glistening off the dolphin. Okay. This is what we need to achieve now. This is the new beauty look dolphin skin. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yes. You okay. too. I am Googling to- this. Yes. Right. Yes. You go ahead. <laughs> I-, I know you don't believe me. I, I know you don't believe me, but it is. The, one of the biggest trends in beauty is a dolphin look. Okay. And it's not easy to achieve. 
So you no, no, I wouldn't. You need that long snout. You need there's a whole a lot of reshaping. No, 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 no just stick with me, okay? This is this is going to be such a nice dewy, refresh look, mm. Liz. I think this is right up your alley. But you're like Miss Sea Turtle, okay? Okay. You know how great you look when you you've been swimming in that's the true. water. Yes. Okay. That's what you're trying to achieve. Okay. Okay. But in order to achieve that, there is a multi-step process. Okay. First you have to apply some glow, just some sunblock. Okay. Then you need to apply some plump. Okay. You've never mm -hmm. seen a skinny dolphin, right? They're right. all kind of nice and plump. Okay. Yeah. Smooth, smooth. Okay. You got to smooth it out with another product and then more moisturizer because you were glowing in the beginning. So you need to uh -huh. moisturize. Then we have to get to illumination, Leon. Okay. <laughs> all right. Oh, I illumination. like illumination. Okay. Yeah. So you're Again, think of that dolphin, okay? It's it's a quite a complex look, okay? You're still not done because uh, the dolphins are outside, right? They're mm -hmm. in the water, so you know they have a nice bronzy uh, glow to them. So you got to apply some bronzing onto the top. <laughs> okay, okay, I have to stop you right here. I've never seen a dolphin with a bronze bronzy glow. Well, they but... have a they have a nice nice net. They're not pale, Liz. They're not pale, are they? No. Okay. This dolphin you, has like a seven step skincare regimen. Okay. Is actually, there's one last one. That's the shimmering. That's oh. when like, mm. you know, really getting the glistening of the sun. Okay? Wow. But mm. I think this can really be, I mean, it's going to take some effort, but dolphin skin. I want to see <laughs> some pictures of this. Okay. It's going to take all morning. <laughs> it's that's so that's glowing, plumping, smoothing, it's, moisturizing, yeah. illuminating. I lost, I lost track, frankly. Then I mean, bronze, then you're bronzing, bronzing. And, you're sh and you're shimmering. Okay, mm. so you okay, have dolphin, dolphin skin. Okay, can I, I just can I just ask who said this is a trend? I read you just go ahead and Google, Google it, Liz. It's a trend, she's right. Okay, I mean, if right. JLo is doing it, it's a trend. Okay. So I mean, everybody else besides JLo is 18. So that probably helps with the dolphin nature of their skin. But yeah. okay. 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 I want, I want to see some dolphin skin over at our Facebook page. Okay. Sure. Se second trend. I think this is a wonderful idea. Now there's it's putt putt golf for adults. No, now, now just uh, you've got to like open your mind about putt putt golf. Mm -hmm. This think more of like a nightclub with putt putt golf in it. So you get dressed up, you go to this place, there's these fabulous putt-putt golf courses, you have crafted cocktails, you have little bites to eat, uh, there's DJ, DJ, doesn't that sort of sound like a fun night out? Well, do I still get the windmills and the things? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> or are they but giant martini be, glasses or they something? They could be martini glasses. Yeah, it's a whole, it's a new concept. Uh -huh. They're opening one here in Dallas, but they're going to be opening them in D.C. and other areas around the country. Putt-putt golf for adults. I think, I think this has some promise to it. Okay. Well, I do too. We, it sounds fun. It does. We thought we thought that axe throwing had no promise, very limited future. <laughs> and we were 100 percent wrong because that continues to be a huge trend. So we were so wrong on axe throwing. I'm, I'm willing to go out on a limb for putt putt golf for adults. So this I is think it's kind of active. I think it's fun. So it's outdoors. The name of, it's uh, well, these are actually indoors, Liz. Oh, it's a night. Oh, well, it's, that's... Night, it's a nightclub. <laughs> 
but it's big. Oh. It's you got a lot of you got a lot of air. I'm sure they have fans and good air conditioning. And I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Okay. The one in Dallas is called Puttery. Is the name of it. And uh, but they are going to be opening them around the country. And I think uh, that Charlotte, North Carolina, Houston, Miami, sort of all the cute, Washington D.C., all the mm-hmm. cool places. Mm-hmm. Puttery. Look for okay. it. Okay. Ooh, a all modern right. spin on putt putt golf is how they're. Is I, love, I love is. how my sisters are fact checking me in real time on this podcast. You see this? I, I work so hard on these Tuesday trends to bring them. They don't believe any of the trends. Okay. And so I just like middle, to understand your sourcing on some of this. So, okay, fine. I go deep. Okay. All right. So this one, you better get on. You better just better get on the list. Home generators. Uh, Hmm. This is now a must have item when people are trying to sell their homes because Mm -hmm. I, well, you know, it's a big trend in Texas because of of course course, we we didn't have any power, you know, Mm -hmm. last winter during storm Mm -hmm. Uri, but okay. Just think about it. Floods, fires, outages, hurricanes It's happening all over the country. Okay. We're not going to change any of that. And what do you need to, to stay in business? Okay. To stay open, you need a home generator. Okay. Mm-hmm. But you can't get them. All right. And my source for this is Bob Vila. Okay. We all know him. We trust okay. him. I'm now okay. I'm, go- I'm going to Google Bob Vila. <laughs> See? See? So, so Bob says there's a generator shortage. Yes. There, Bob says there's a gen. I say there's a generator sh- shortage too. So okay. Okay. I think this would be a really good thing to just get on the list that you really because it's it's a good thing to have. Okay. Ooh, okay. So, so is that more or less important than working on the dolphin skin? Because I have limited amounts of time to work on some of these trendier items. Okay. Well, the last one, which I'm really excited about, and actually I'm in favor of this. Okay. Halloween trees. How do you feel about them? Have you seen these popping up on the internet? Okay. And no, that's my source no. for this story. The internet. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Well, okay. Then define your term. What's a Halloween tree? It's a tree with Halloween decorations. on Mm. I think it's a good idea. I think it can really add to the Halloween decor. I like it because it's not scary. Again, Mm. I think Halloween is for children and I don't like scary things. So, but a Halloween tree, you could decorate it with jack-o'-lanterns. You could put a couple skeletons on there. Mm -hmm. How fun, you know, orange lights that I think that this is a good time. What do you think? Well, I find it curious that you're, you you won't get in a costume, but you want to set up a tree for Halloween. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Again, nice black trees. I see them there again. I I just Googled Halloween. I I know. Once again, fact check me on that. Okay, fine. Yes. No, they're cute. It's it's just two trees a year. It's a lot to put up and put down. I I don't know where you store the ornaments for that. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a lot, but I can see if it's, it's a nice black tree is what I would say. So sure. Great. Halloween tree. Do it. Okay. Liz, Liz. I really enjoy Halloween decorations. I got to say, I I think it's fun. And in my neighborhood, there's a whole zone. I feel like it must be like the land of set decorators or something here in LA. Yeah. That happens. yeah. Yeah. People do a super job decorating their front yards and it's all up. It's all ready to go. Usually by October 1st, people have like the full on light shows. They've got animatronics. They've got all kinds of stuff. So I'm all for that. And I even support 
I can't believe I'm saying this, extending the holiday for the whole month when it comes to the decorative aspect mm-hmm. of the holiday. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't need adults wearing costumes to work every day, you know, in <laughs> October, but I enjoy seeing those decorations go up and people have a lot of fun, a lot of different interpretations for the holiday. So sure, holiday trees for me is a subset of the embracing Halloween decorations, I think is very, um, it's like by the time it's starting to get dark at night again, which is, you know, October. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Light up your front yard. Go for it. Right. And you could even have one in your house too, Liz. You could get two trees, one for outside, one for inside. Yeah. Oh, was I completely misunderstanding the concept? Will you put this inside? Inside the house. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were decorating the trees in your front yard. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. Okay. No. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, okay. You, you two are a tough crowd. Okay. So let's move on. But I I imagine that many satellite sister listeners are going to embrace uh, all four of the trends that I brought you today. That's all. That's all I can say. Okay. Okay. All right. Now the second, we're going to have a discussion now because I saw an article. My source was the wall street journal. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I'll just say that up front. And this was a debate, a decorating debate about whether or not coffee table books, you know, those big giant books that people Mm -hmm. put on coffee tables, are they still relevant uh, uh, as a way to decorate? Uh, mm-hmm. um, and so uh, I guess we're going to do a little round table here. I mean, I think a coffee table book, there are many attributes. It, you know, by putting out a certain book, it sort of tells a story of who you are, you know, in your home, that this is a place or maybe some art or some style or design that you like. Um you know, books in some way can be like an art collection. Maybe you can't afford expensive art, but you can buy beautiful books and use them to decorate in your house. Mm-hmm. And it's a way to, you know, add a lot of personality uh, to your living spaces. Um, on the other hand, uh, uh, coffee table books, uh, no one reads them, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they may really be- done a lot of homework. <laughs> you really have a position paper. Continue. <laughs> What? just mocking my okay just think about that no one reads those coffee tables you're very pre- prepared i didn't expect this level of pre- <laughs> they collect dust you know if there's they something do. some giga on top of it you know like a bowl yeah. or a ball yeah no one is going to touch the book they're just props all right okay mm-hmm. nobody uh you may not have any interest in mid-century design even <laughs> though you have a book with that uh mm-hmm. and uh you know, uh, you're, you're just, you know, they're not, they're not, they're really, they're just clutter. So let's, let's see, Leon, <laughs> let me start with you. Okay. I've laid it Ooh, out. Both I, don't, pros I did cons. not do a pro and cons list. So for this, just to let you know, I'm very okay. pro book. I'm not going to be anti book, very okay. pro book, but I do believe you should buy the ones you love and take a look at them every once in a while and switch them up, switch them around. You don't let it just become a dusty prop. But yeah, mm-hmm. I think they're beautiful. I love looking at coffee table books. We have a New Yorker cartoon book that I rotate in and out of the coffee table. It's just fun to sit there for 10 minutes and read some cartoons from the New Yorker days gone by. I love coffee table books. I'm for them. It supports artists. It supports photographers and writers and publishers. Totally for them. Okay. Okay. And, and my sister Liz. What? what? All right. Well, when you told me there was a controversy about this, I, you know, I was hard pressed to 
figure out what it might be, like what could be so controversial. But just personally, I do have a little bit of coffee table book guilt. And here's why. I have a collection. I have about half a dozen beautiful books from National Geographic. Um, You know, I worked at National Geographic for six years. So I have like the whale book, um, you know, the turtle book, the, you know, mountains book, you know, beautiful, mainly photography books, but, you know, oh, I have one about tigers, beautiful uh, pictures of tigers. But I was just looking at them a couple of weeks ago, Julian, thinking, I've never really read any of them because because they're predominantly picture books, you know, not geophotography. Like I never felt the need to read them, but I should. I was like, I would, that tiger book has been sitting there forever. I know nothing about tigers. I, no. you know, I feel like, so, <laughs> so I will confess that I was feeling like it's time to read a couple coffee table books. <laughs> Maybe that's just a sign of what COVID has done to me. Just again, prisoner in my home, you start looking around thinking, what else can I do in my living room? You're like, <laughs> read a coffee table book. Why not? So okay, I think coffee table books can be aspirational, Liz. Okay. Yeah. So I think you should keep them. Don't jettison them. And, oh. uh, so I think they, they have meaning to you and your life. And that's yes. important. So. Yes. But I, I do imagine there are probably some there are probably some coffee table books that people buy just for show, just as a prop to say something about them that may or may not be true. Um, I'm trying to think if there are any I have in my home that do that. (laughs) 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 Probably somewhere in my collection, there's, you know, one or two pretentious coffee table books. So uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Get rid of those. Right. You, you know, I think it's time that we all come to terms with the coffee table books in our house. That's what I think. (laughs) Thank you, Julie. You have to ask some hard questions about your coffee table books. (laughs) Thank you. This is a meaningful and well-researched conversation. Excellent work. (laughs) Excellent work. All right. Uh, We are going to take a break. When we get back, author Laura Galloway will be with us to tell us about what it's like to live above the circle. But first, we'd like to thank a couple of sponsors. I think I have a coffee table book about living above the Arctic Circle, actually. (laughs) Liz and Leanne here, and we are so grateful to have Osea support Satellite Sisters. Why? Because it's just a great product. Holy cow, do we we love Osea's skin and body care. And you know what? This Mother's Day, just look no further than Osea. Spoil the moms in your life with the little luxuries from Osea. The moms, the stepmoms, the bonus moms, the people who bring a touch of something special to your life aunts, grandmothers, they would love a little Osea this Mother's Day. And you can get 10% off your first order by using our code SATSISTERS at OseaMalibu.com. And Liz, you know what every mother and mother figure needs? What? More moisture, Liz. They need more moisture in their skin. (laughs) In their skin. I mean, really, the creams, the lotions, the oils. I love it all. That duo they have going. Like, you can't miss with the duo of Osea. Liz, the Mega Moisture Duo, yes. you can you can literally see your skin get firmer and it just delivers this full body glow. Okay, you know we have raved about the Andaria Algae Body Oil. Mm-hmm. Well, pair that with the Andaria Collagen Body Oil. Youthful, yeah. Liz, a youthful yeah. glow is going to happen. <laughs> and it's infused with Osea's signature Andaria Seaweed. So it just smells so delicious, doesn't it? 
I know you're talking about giving it as a gift. I also suggest just giving it to yourself <laughs> because you're worth it. <laughs> that's, that's true. That is absolutely true. Okay, that moisture duo I mentioned too is a great value because you can save 16% plus the extra 10% with our code Sad Sisters. So this is it. This is a win-win-win Mother's Day gift. Spoil the moms in your life with clean vegan skincare and body care from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with the code SATSISTERS at OseaMalibu.com. And you get free samples in every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Osea is spelled O-S-E-A. So head on over to OseaMalibu.com and use code SATSISTERS for 10% off. Thanks, Osea. We're back with the Satellite Sisters, and we're very excited to be joined by Laura Galloway today. Laura is a writer. She began her career at the LA Times. She holds a Master's of Arts in Indigenous Journalism from Sami University of Applied Sciences in Norway. And if that sounds crazy, we're going to talk to her about why she has that. She loves animals. She lives in England now, uh, but she wrote an incredible memoir about six years of life above the Arctic Circle called Dalvi. And I just can't wait to talk to her about it. So Laura, welcome to Satellite Sisters. Thank you so much, Lynn. I'm really excited to be here. You know, it's fun to know that you listen to the show. I mean, that's <laughs> not required of all our guests, but we're happy to reach, reach out to you across the ocean. I'm so glad you found Satellite Sisters where you are now. Thank you. And I, I listen to you actually when I, I'm driving. So it's it's very calming for me when I'm learning to drive on the wrong side of the street here. So I <laughs> So one of the amazing things about your story is that you're constantly learning. So it's not a surprise to me that you're learning to drive on the wrong side of the street now. Because this memoir, Laura, how do you describe it? Because I was trying to explain it to my sisters. I was like, it's two stories. It's your adventure in the Arctic, but also this examination of your childhood and your early 20s, and also equally as astonishing as moving to the Arctic. How do you describe the book? I, you know, I think people have compared my book, although it's an entirely different story to things like Wild and Eat, Pray, Love. And I think that the book has two different real themes to it. And and one is, it, an the, it answers the question of why I would do something as crazy as moving to the Arctic. And that's not a one sentence answer. That's my memoir. And uh, <laughs> it was really necessary to kind of start at the beginning of my life, which started with my mother dying while I was in bed with her when I was um, not yet four years old. And that was really the catalyst for a lifelong search for connection and belonging. So the book goes back and forth between my growing up years and, and young adulthood and trying to figure myself out. And it, it all comes to a head in the Arctic. Okay. So you, how do you get to the Arctic? I mean, I know how, but tell Liz and Julie, like what, what drew you to the Arctic? Cause it's extreme. The sure, Arctic. sure. Well, about 10 or 11 years ago, I, somebody had, I had been gifted with one of the commercial DNA tests and they were in a very nascent state at that time. And I was amazed to see that when I got my result back, it indicated that I had some affiliation to the Sami people. And those are the indigenous inhabitants of Arctic, Norway, Sweden, Finland, and the Kola Peninsula of Russia. And I considered myself to be a very well-traveled person. I've worked all over the world, but I had never heard of these people. 
And so I looked them up and, and became fascinated by them and started, I took a first trip to the Arctic, then a second and a third. I was just so mesmerized by the actual, the juxtaposition of my frenetic, busy New York life to being in the Arctic where there is no Facebook, there is no internet connection in certain places. And I was very drawn and I kept going back again and again and again. Eventually I was invited to a Sami wedding in the village in which I ended up living called Kautikeno or Gaudigadnu in Sami language. And I met a reindeer herder, as one does. Yes. And we... <laughs> there are probably quite a few around. You know, I don't think they're on Tinder. But, um, <laughs> we... <laughs> but we ended up, we started a long distance relationship. And, you know, I had had a, I had had a pretty, um, a pretty traumatic failed, failed marriage to a much older man. And, and um, I just... I thought maybe this is, I, I felt such a connection to this person and things were becoming pretty untenable in New York. I'd, I'd lost a major client that I'd had forever and ever. They were ready to have a bigger, you know, media communications group handle them. And it just seemed like there was nothing left for me in New York. Things were falling apart with my family and, and care and all sorts of, you know, sibling issues happening. So I decided to just go to meet to uh, Norway for a few months. I'd put my stuff in storage and I did take my two cats, but I decided it's to- It's so funny. I mean, <laughs> that's, it's just not as easy as it sounds to take no, two cats to like a very wild place to New York no, cats. It's <laughs> okay. really, really hard. And the paperwork is insane, taking <laughs> an animal overseas. So, um, so anyway, you know what? Every town needs more cats. I mean, that's what that's <laughs> that's what that's really true. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. Oh my goodness! Yes. Well, I I decided to go for a few months, and then I just um, I ended up going to this village. I started learning Sami language. I realized very quickly um, that this this was a lot. I mean, this was a totally foreign culture to me. And in the dead of night, I started to, to go out with the reindeer herders and do that because it's such a big part of the culture. And I'd been there six months. And in the dead of winter, the reindeer herder just sent me a message breaking up with me. And I had a decision, do I stay or do I go? And I, felt I like feel like that was one of the great <laughs> breakup stories of all time. Uh, I, I have to say, like, I, I want people to read this book, so I don't want to give it away but it just it's a, the highest definition of ghosting i mean it's just <laughs> unbelievable i mean you moved to norway for this guy oh my gosh okay i mean was, i mean it's unbelievable it was hard. i mean it was it was it was shocking but i i write about this and yes i don't, nobody can ask me for for breakup advice and tell me that they're having a bad time. I right. think I them <laughs> You're you the expert now. Okay. Along with, I was a kid. I walked 10 miles to school in the snow. I actually did that <laughs> for my master's degree, but I, um, but so he, we ended up breaking up. And, and so that's where the book really, that's the moment yeah. that I think two and two different sides of my story come together in the book, because the rest of it is really about my life in the Arctic um, really coming to terms with things that had happened when I was younger that I pushed under the rug or tried to super achieve over 
and none of it was working. I, I had to be in the silence. I had to be in a place where I knew nothing and and figure out what meant anything to me. And, and that's really the book. Laura, the language itself that you 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 took it on to learn the language because not a lot of people spoke English or people who did, you know, was limited. Right. But it, it, describe how hard it was to learn that language, because it's not like going to Paris and trying to pick up France. No, it's very complicated. Well, it was really hard and it was really hard for a couple of reasons. So so as a starting point, you know, I'm a middle aged woman who was never great at language and just less less flexible in learning new languages, I think, as I got a little bit older. But then I was learning a language that didn't have the template of French or Italian or Spanish. It was completely different um, structure of the language, which is more closely related to Finnish. And then on top of that, um, all of the books, there weren't a lot of books in Sami language because there was a long period in which people were not allowed to speak their mother tongue. And the, so the books were all in Swedish, Norwegian, or Finnish in the Sami. And of course, there's helpful. no Google Translate for Sami. So I would be killing myself trying to learn what is a word, what's a verb in Norwegian, and then, and then figure that out, read, translating the book from Norwegian to figure out the Sami. And it was really tough. And I wasn't good at learning the language, but I, I did my best. But I, it was very difficult, very difficult. Talk and then what was the physical nature of the difficulties like? I mean, how cold was it? Like how, I mean, what, what you had to do a lot of like day-to-day chores just to survive. You don't, you, throughout the book, you also mentioned you didn't have a ton of money. This wasn't like some well-financed, you know, woohoo trip to Norway. So you were really schlepping. Right. This was, this was not, you know, um, Valley, France, vacation time. I I, I love those books, but, but one of the things that I wanted to be really specific about was that I was in a completely foreign culture and also where, where nobody cared about the the jobs that I had done in my, in my life or the clients that I'd had. And it, it meant nothing. So just going back to the temperature, it was cold. It could become, it was easy to be in the dead of winter, it was easily minus 45 or 50 on any given day. And yeah. minus 40 is when Celsius and Fahrenheit become the same thing. Yeah. So anything over that, it, it is minus 41 or two Fahrenheit. And it was extremely cold. Uh, you learn how to dress for the cold. The Sami people wear these amazing boots that are made of reindeer skin and they're stuffed with wool. And then they have uh, reeds in them that are dried during the autumn. And they are the warmest things you will ever, ever wear on your feet. So you just learn how to dress to cover up your nose and your ears. Your hair freezes, which is kind of weird. Um, (laughs) You don't realize you have so much liquid in your hair that it just freezes into and brittle snaps. So, um, And where did you live? Like what kind of building or house or apartment did you live in? I'm having trouble like picturing, like what does a town look like in this region? So this town in this village, this called Caltecano, I lived actually, I had moved into um, a four bedroom apartment with, with the reindeer herder called Ailu. And in the book, I changed his name, but he, but we, um, 
it was a basement apartment. It had a, a fire had to be stoked every day. There were some really ancient wall heaters, but the, I think the place had last been updated in, in the early seventies and, you know, frost would come through the windows, but it was very cozy when you could get a good fire going, which I had to get very good at learning how to do that. And that was where I lived for the bulk of my time. But I do want to say, I think a lot of people have an impression that I lived in a, in a tent or lavu or that's a Sami tent, but people in the North and all the Scandinavian countries are much more modern, even than in America, I think. So, you know, I was living with the reindeer herder who had never lived outside of his family home. He spent all his time on the tundra. And so my, my initial experience in this village was living his reality, which was, you know, a not a well-done apartment and barely ever being there. And, um, always gone but everybody else people have gorgeous homes there and the internet is faster than it is in England I can tell you <laughs> so, um but it's so, dark a lot there too right yeah I mean, it yeah. is did that you bother know, was that how did that impact you oh my gosh let me tell you I think that when you have polar night it's really it's so discombobulating if you don't have a job that you have to go to every morning at the same time. You have to force yourself to kind of keep a schedule. And the desire is just to eat and eat and eat and bake and bake and bake because <laughs> you, you just want to eat everything in the world. I, I thank God for YouTube and all of this. I became a really great cook, you know, just baking everything all the time. And, um, you gain weight unless you know how to how to do things. But I think I think what was more unsettling to me is that you also have midnight sun and 24 right. hours of right. sun. Right. And people don't realize that you can't just say I'm going to bed and then walk into a dark room and it happens immediately. You need light gradation to really get to the sleepy part. <laughs> it's really, really tough. But one of the I things think- that struck me about this book, Laura, was that you work so hard to make friends in this village where people didn't necessarily want to be your friend. I mean, (laughs) your, your book, I mean, you know, I mean, nothing personal, I'm sure you're nice, but like, I mean, they had their lives and you didn't really speak their language and you brought your weird New York cats and that was weird to them. And, and, but you made these extraordinary friendships and you, you adopted these dogs and you found these connections. Was that, I mean, I hate this word, but was that healing to you? (laughs) I'm not, you know, it's a great question. And I, and I think that it's, it's the right word to use. It was healing because I think anyone that's writing a memoir is kind of on a, a search to make sense of their lives and, why, why has my life gone in the direction it's gone in? And the wonderful thing that I really realized in Caltecano was throughout my entire life, um, for lack of a better word, there have just been people or angel people that have stepped into my life and been there. And um, this has been a common theme in my life. And I really recognized that when I was there, most especially because in the north of Norway, it, it, it's not a friendly Scandinavian culture is not an immediately friendly, huggy culture. This is seen as really disingenuous. And unless anyone teaches you um, in the far north that there is a, that is really a huge, huge distinction, 
you know, I always say, I can say this because I am one. Americans are like the golden retrievers of culture. Yeah. And I, I'm like, Hi, I'm Laura. Great to meet you. And, uh, and that just doesn't work. So you, you need to really learn to shut up and build relationships over time quietly. And that was a wonderful thing, the, the friendships that I developed uh, with people. So yeah, I was surprised when the relationship with the reindeer herder ended. And again, how many people could there be in his town and his family? Just they were not friendly to you after that. They were done. So you went out and you made your own friends. And I, I was just really touched by those portions of the book. It was it just, you know, because it's hard as an adult. It's hard in a foreign language. So you you did yeah. it. And obviously that was that really changed you for being there. And then how are the dogs? Then you got it. Then you adopted a bunch of dogs. I mean, I I love your dog people. Um, yes. <laughs> I love that. Um, I adopted two reindeer herding dogs. So the first one was called is called Rassi, R-A-S-S-I. And in Northern Sami, that means flower. It's a crazy thing to name a dog. <laughs> but usually dogs are named after their color combinations. You couldn't say Villagay or Gugay or the color. These This would be impossible for people that I knew to in other parts of the world to say the animal's name. And I got Rousey because um, the, the people that I knew had a dog that had puppies. The girls are, the female dogs are less, less used for reindeer herding. As, as this reindeer herder told me, it is because we would be herding dogs and not reindeer if we use the females. Um, ah, because they don't, that? they just don't fix, um, they don't fix, nor, it's not Sammy, but in Norway, fixing an animal is is not usually done or getting okay. them like spayed or neutered. And so um, and so Rossi was born and she's white and she has a big heart and spots all over her. But this is a terrible coloring for a dog to be seen in the middle of the tundra. Um, <laughs> Good point. Okay. Oh, I can see that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> A little hard yeah. to find, kind of a wear right. though. Yeah, right. She was given to me, and I thought, "Oh, this is great. They're gonna give me the dog." And then I realized, no, they gave me the dog because, um, because partially because she wasn't suitable for reindeer herding, and I just completely fell in love with this dog. And I did go to great lengths to get her um, fixed so that she couldn't she couldn't have puppies because I feel very strongly about that, and. Um, and then her mother, the dog had more puppies. And then I got the second dog called Nilla, which is her sister. And Nilla is black, spelled N-I-L-L-A, which is actually a boy's name in Sami, which all of the old ladies, the Akus, thought I was absolutely nuts yelling Nilla, Nilla down the streets. Her name should have been Chape, which means black. So you could look at any black dog in, in the north of Norway in a Sami village and yell the color black and every black dog would come to you. <laughs> That's a very simple system though. When yeah. you think about it, yeah. It makes sense in a country that's in a place that's very like basic needs but must be met first and it's hard to totally. do that. But totally. yeah. I love I love that you like found those dogs and adopted them and made your major life there. Now you I don't want to give away the end of the book. So how do you describe your life now? So I um well it, the end is not given away, but I, I think by mentioning that I live in England now, um, I think that 
I think that when I really started to understand myself, the world opened up for me. So my story had a very happy sort of ending. I, I, I did, I met someone, I ended up um, moving to, moving to England. It was, I will say that I drove with two cats and two dogs in a station wagon from the Arctic to England, which was a whole separate. I hope there's <laughs> a whole book just on that. Yes. It took me five days. It was a harrowing journey. Um, and I think my animals have been to more countries than most people have. <laughs> now, I promised uh, Satellite Sisters listeners that I would ask you about the Aurora Borealis. Now, <laughs> yeah. do- because, well, it's on my bucket list and it's on a lot of people's bucket lists. And we're told the only way we can see it is by getting on a cruise ship. And that's terrifying. So I mean, oh. what, what was it? What is it like there, you know, to see it and be there? And how often does it show up? How does it work, Laura? How does the Aurora Borealis work? <laughs> well, let me tell you, man. This is how. <laughs> um, I, so the, the Auroras are incredible in the North. And, and actually, they are really frequent and what you need to have right now would be a perfect aurora time typically october in the north of norway um or in in the second winter the end of polar night and you need a a very clear sky to be able to see them and not a lot of light pollution you do not need to be on a cruise ship okay Uh, okay and it's even it's even better if you can do it sort of sort of find a find a place with um you know people can drive you drive you out on snowmobiles or you can look for auroras but when they come they tend to show up between nine o'clock and eleven o'clock at night the aurora hours so you you kind of that's when you always start looking out your window and if it's a clear cold night you usually have a pretty good chance and um and they are spectacular and gorgeous and they come in all different shapes and sizes and they're just the most magnificent magnificent thing to kind of step out of your house and see on a really mundane evening to to see this you know happening and they don't you can't really totally predict them but if you go out with really good aurora hunters then they have a kind of a good sense of you know tracking weather and and looking at satellites um, so it, it's something everyone should experience because it's so otherworldly. And if you go to the north of Norway, you never point at the auroras ever. Okay, why? Well, this is because huge. It's, uh, <laughs> because <laughs> consider to be bad luck to do that, and that you're you're kind of teasing teasing the universe. So you oh. don't point at auroras. Oh, okay. um, that's a, that's very a good tradition. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> Of course, again, because we're the golden retrievers of culture, we're just immediately going to point. Like, oh my God, you're just, <laughs> look at that. I hey, everybody, look. I just thought about me. I can't tell you the number of times I write about this in the book, you know, because I've lived in LA for a long time too. I spent my 20s there. And I just, you know, I, I would overuse this. I love you. I mean it really casually. Oh, I love you. Thanks for doing that for me. And I, I have write about in my book saying that to um to somebody that gave me a ride uh, to a, a man I just wasn't thinking about it and I said oh, I love you thanks for giving me a ride well that went all around the village and my, neighbor, <laughs> oh. my neighbor had to come down and and tell me in, in the most delicate way possible after an hour of having coffee and I knew that she had something to say to me she said Laura 
you must not tell every man you love him. <laughs> Otherwise, they will think you want to put your sock feet in the air. <laughs> that is a great expression. That's great. Yeah. That sounds okay. like how our mother described uh, <laughs> human relations. <laughs> love it. <laughs> Fascinating. Fascinating. Uh, you know, we have to let you go here, but what does Dalvi mean? What, what does the title of the book mean? Dalvi is the Northern Sami word for winter. And so that's the title of title of the book. And I, I titled it that because I really wanted a Sami word to, um, you know, to sort of get, get out outside of Sapmi and become common knowledge, let's hope. And, um, and also because so many important things happened to me in winter in my life. So. Well, um, it's a beautiful memoir. I mean, congratulations. Uh, I'm sure you're excited to have it out. I loved reading it. It was just, um, it just took me away to a lot of different places. So, uh, so thank you for being on Satellite Sisters. It's been great to talk to you, Laura. Stay in touch. Stay thank in touch. you so much. Thank, <laughs> thank you. you, Laura. Bye, so great Laura. to meet you. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Liz, summer is coming up and you know what that means? It means you're grilling. You're grilling and chilling sure. there yes. with your with your butcher box. What what do you got going on the grill this summer? Well, you know, here's the thing. Because I'm gonna be up in, in Bend for a part of the summer, yeah. I'm having my box sent there, Leanne. That's I mean, great. Go on vacation with your butcher box is what uh what uh, what I'm recommending. Yeah, either way, you're just gonna buy meat and fish and stuff when you get there. Why do that? Anyway, you I love their steaks. I love their scallops. The scallops are really good. And the chicken thighs, all good. I'm ready. That's right. ButcherBox gives you peace of mind and easy to find high quality meat and seafood you can trust. It's 100% grass fed beef, free range organic chicken, pork that's raised crate free and wild caught seafood, no antibiotics or added hormones. And as Liz said, delivered right to your doorstep. And you can customize that delivery plan, Liz. Right. Because it can go wherever you want it to go, whenever you want it to go. If you want to delay it a week, you know, speed it up a week, you just go to your ButcherBox account and you can make that all happen. It's so easy to manage online. Yeah. And if you're like Liz, you can take your ButcherBox on vacation, which is... That's <laughs> nice. That's nice. <laughs> nice to have something familiar there. <laughs> yes. So if you want to take your meat on vacation, sign up at butcherbox.com slash sisters and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional 20% off. So you can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash sisters and use code sisters to choose your free for a year offer plus Get $20 off your first order. Thanks, ButcherBox. We're back. We're the Satellite Sisters. How fun to talk to Laura. I'm telling you, if, if you have sort of a fantasy about, you know, move, what, moving to a foreign country, it's just an amazing book, what she actually yeah. accomplished. I mean, yeah. uh, she was intrepid. I mean, that is to try to learn that language, to, you know, to be in that small vi village where it was so cold and so dark. Amazing. Yeah. And everything was hard. So, yes. but Laura did mention that she has an Instagram account where she puts up photos of the Auroras, of her dogs, and of all kinds of things. So you can follow her at author Laura Galloway. And of course, we'll put this in the show notes and at the website, but at author Laura Galloway, if you want to see her Aurora photos. See, I would like to see that Aurora, wouldn't you? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think we got some good information. What's yeah. the number one rule? We're not going yeah. to point at it. We're right? not gonna... 
<laughs> Number two rule, don't get on the cruise ship. Yeah, we don't yeah, need a yes. don't need a cruise ship. Right. Okay. okay. All right. Julie, have you ever been to Norway? No, but I mean, I've been in um, very far north uh, Russia, so I, right. I could relate to how cold it was having, you know, everything freeze, the darkness. Um, but, you know, what she did, she's an incredible, that's so intrepid what she did. So, yeah. Uh, Liz, you've been to Norway, right? I have been. I've been to Bergen. I've been to Oslo and I've been to Bergen. Okay. It was ages ago. It's so beautiful. Norway is yeah. unbelievably beautiful. I mean, but yeah. I was both times I was in a in a big city by Norwegian standards. So I've never really been out where she's been. This right. sounds incredible. You, I mean, this sounds so stupid. You just imagine people living in igloos and things. Yes. So, yes. so that's why I asked about what are the actual buildings? Because yeah, yeah. you Stru just, I think you called it structures, Liz. That structures. Was Thank you. Yes. yes. Uh -huh. <laughs> don't, don't point at them. Don't point at the structures, Liz. <laughs> All right. Well, because we're on a memoir kick, we thought uh, for entertaining sisters, we would actually, I happen to have read a bunch of memoirs, which is not a normal genre for me, but I was mm -hmm. so inspired by Laura's. I wanted to read a few more. And so I have a couple to recommend, particularly in the area of food. And Liz, of course, it's Tucci time. So you okay. have more Tucci for us. Okay. Yeah, more Tucci. It's, it's Tucci Tober. So I want to give you a quick update on Tucci Tober. Um, this week, I'll be making the first pasta, you know, here it's my third week of Tucci Tober and I'm making a pasta this week. So that's Thursday night, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern live in our Facebook group. And I'm doing the just the very simple, simple pasta that Stanley Tucci's father used to make every Friday night pasta con alio and olio. So it's basically pasta with garlic and oil. So I think that is well within my, my skill set. I, think, set, I think it's in your wheelhouse, Liz. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Because next week I'm making the trickier spaghetti with fried zucchini. That was such a hit on his TV show. So I have to kind of save some of my energy for next week. So okay. um, yeah, so first pasta of the month. Uh, Tucci Tober continues. So thank you for everyone who is joining the live broadcast because I love getting your comments in real time while I'm trying to cook. Um, but Leon, you said, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about memoirs on biographies about food, right? Right. I, so, I sometimes I assign things to the sisters or just throw out concepts if anyone's on board. So yeah, I said, hey, I've read, read a bunch about food. Who's Who wants in on this? Yes. So not surprisingly, my uh, memoir about food is Stanley Tucci's new book. <laughs> so Stanley Tucci published a book this month called Taste My Life Through Food. I have mentioned it a couple of times uh, in previous episodes, but I just got it. So I just had a chance to read it. First of all, I mean, Stanley Tucci, I just I, I love the way he tells a story. It's interesting. There are whole sections of the book that are written as if they're scripts when he's doing when he's recounting um conversations he's had with people his kids his mom um he sort of puts them in the book as a script and so oh. that's a lot that's a lot of fun to read um he has great New York City observations, the boo. So he, because he lived as a struggling actor in New York uh, in his 20s, lived on the Upper West, trying to get gigs on Broadway or off Broadway or off, 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 off Broadway. So, but a lot, obviously for this book, it's all about the great hood restaurants that he used to hang out in, including the late, great Carnegie Deli. He does quite 
quite a bit about the Carnegie Deli, but also Alian, he also mentions just last week, didn't you? A couple of weeks ago, when we were t- did our New York episode, you talked about Luchow's. Right. And yeah. You- German restaurant. Yeah. Yes. That was a very famous German restaurant downtown. So he mentions Luchow's. So- oh, that's so funny. Yes. Yeah. Where I saw Andy Warhol. Luchow's. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you will, if you've been to New York back in the day, 70s and 80s, you will recognize a lot of these names. Uh, and if you haven't been, it's just part of the history of New York. So I enjoyed that. Here's one thing. He talks about people who do cooking shows. And so naturally I perked up because I do. (laughs) And because you're expecting him at the tasting window any week now. Any week now at the tasting Uh window. But he he praises one TV chef who does one like six minute take of cooking something without cutting and resetting the cameras, without doing any of that, no editing. And I'm like, well, I do that every week on Cooking with Liz. It's just <laughs> one long, crazy take. So, okay. So um, thank you for recognizing how hard that is, Stanley. And then one last thing I wanted to mention about Taste is that uh, he did the audio book. So oh, fun. If, you, if you don't need to look, there are a handful of recipes scattered throughout the book. So you would want the book in print if, you're, if the recipes are important to you. But if you just love Stanley and want to hear him tell his stories in his own voice, I highly recommend the audiobook. I listened to it and it was just lovely and warm and fantastic. So it's uh, Taste My Life Through Food. Good oh. recommendation, Liz. That's You'll enjoy nice. it. Yeah, great. Great. Um, Okay, so I had a couple of food memoirs as well that I wanted to recommend. Uh, The first is called Plenty, a memoir of food and family. And the author is Hannah Howard. She is a food writer, but she worked for years in and around the New York restaurant scene. Uh, She's also like a certified cheese expert. So that's fantastic. So she knows a lot about cheese. She spent a long time in France learning to make cheese. She's written about cheese. She's been the cheese cheesery, the fromagier (laughs) at fancy restaurants. And then she stepped away from a career sort of in a restaurant uh, to become a writer a couple of years ago. But one of the reasons she did that was because she's also battled an eating disorder her whole life. Oh, and wow, so wow, when challenging. She, so, yeah, very challenging. So her first memoir was called Feast. And it was it was specifically about the eating disorder because she discovered when she came out about it, that there were also a lot of other people in the food business mm. that had, you know, issues with food and eating. So, uh, so that was our first one. This is plenty. Um, it's set during the pandemic, but you, you kind of feel it a little bit, but what she does is she weaves together the story of like seven, five or six different women working in the food business, either, you know, people that own their own goat farms and they're making cheese or people that own the neighborhood restaurant near her, or people that are supplying food pantries. She weaves their stories in with her story. So it's just a really warm and lovely book, but there's a lot of information in there. And the way she writes about her own life and her eating issues is very visceral. So I found it, you know, instructive, but just a wonderful look at the women of the food business and how hard it is to be in that business and the toll it takes in all kinds of ways. But uh, there's a happy ending to this book. So so what's her name again, Leanne? Her name is Hannah Howard. Okay. So it's good. It's good. Um, okay. The next one is more in the biography category and I'm about halfway through this one and it's great. It's by James Beard award-winning food writer. I'm going to pronounce this name wrong, but Mayuk Sen. 
Uh, and the notes, it will be all in the show notes, but it's called Tastemakers, Seven Immigrant Women Who Revolutionized Food in America. So huh. this is a really deep look at women who have cooked in the food business, some of whom you may have heard of, some of whom you probably haven't for the over the last like 70 years. And it's just fantastic stories of women coming from Mexico and like, you know, you know, setting the standard for Mexican food in America or, you know, women coming from Italy and doing this. It's just it's really well researched. It's really well written. If you like story, if you like great food writing and you like stories about women and you're like, hmm, I wonder if there are other cooks besides Julia Child. Yes, there are. And he sort of introduces you to these other to these other women um, cooks and chefs and restaurateurs and food business owners. It's really well done. Tastemakers, seven immigrant women who revolutionized food in America. And then the last one isn't really a memoir, but she puts a lot of herself into it. Um, it's a new uh, newsletter that I subscribe to because who loves a salad more than me? Almost no one. I I love salad. You you are Miss California salad. You, I am, and yes. I make a salad every night. I like to try new salads. I like to expand my knowledge of salads. So when I saw that Emily Nunn, who wrote um, for the New Yorker for many years on food, had a new newsletter, I signed up for it, and it's called the best name ever: the Department of Salad. Uh-huh. Is the name, oh, is like the name. and so uh so you can subscribe to the newsletter it's one of those sub stack things i don't really understand what that is uh there's a free subscription there's a paid subscription but if you want like salads and a fun story every week in your inbox it's Ooh. great the, the yeah because she again is a good food writer so she you know she wrote for the new yorker so it's the recipes but sometimes they're historic recipes or they're somebody's mother's recipe or she just breaks things down she's very funny but she loves her salads as well so and if you i get the paid subscription now and so i get lots of salads uh but <laughs> it's the department of salad so the those are my three food uh, memoirs, biographies, uh, pieces of work that I want like to recommend. It. Some holiday gift ideas there. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Good idea, Joel. Good mm, idea. Yeah. All right. Wow. That feels like a full show. I mean, we've, yes. uh, we've gone from coffee table books to the Arctic to the Department of Salad. <laughs> we've Very complete. I think our work here is done. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. We would like to thank Sergio Enriquez for his for his support of Satellite Sisters. <laughs> thank you, Sergio. Yes. <laughs> That's not right. Uh, for engineering the show, thank you. We'd like to thank Emily Loudermilk for the work she does on our graphic design. You can always find Satellite Sisters at Sat Sisters on Instagram to see Emily's work or please subscribe to our newsletter, Pep Talk, uh, where I'll probably have links to all these things I just mentioned this week. So another good reason to subscribe to our newsletter. Uh, we would like to thank the sponsors for their support of their show. Thank you very much. We appreciate your support. And thanks to the Satellite Sisters and Misters who use the sponsors, and we appreciate that. Um, oh boy, we, does anyone have a to-do? <laughs> Well, well. I, I have it to do for all of us. Dalton yeah. skin. That's, okay. that's all I'm going to say. Good idea. Sounds super time consuming, but okay. I'll give it a go. <laughs> okay. Big thanks to Lori Galloway for being our guest today. Hey, sisters, have a great week. You, you too, too Leanne. And don't forget, call your satellite sister. <laughs>